Hi, I'm Lucy Adams from Disruptive HR. Welcome to one of our podcast series where you'll hear from HR practitioners who are genuinely doing things differently. If you're looking to change your HR practices, then why not check out the Disruptive HR Club? It's got tons of videos, webinars and downloadable guides that will give you all the ideas and practical help you'll need. Check it out at www.disruptivehr.club. Hello and welcome to another podcast from Disruptive HR, where we talk to people who are both in the HR profession and around the HR profession. But the one thing they share is that they're doing things a bit differently and they're shaking stuff up. And it is an absolute delight to welcome Ashling Tayar, who is the CEO and co-founder of Our Tandem. Now, I'm not going to basically describe our tandem because I'll I'll make a hash of it. The best thing you can do, Ashling, is, is to just tell us, tell us what it is, what our tandem is, um, and maybe also describe how you came to be running the tech business, because it's a tech business, right? It is, it is. I'd love to. And thanks, Lucy. Thanks for having me on. Um, yeah, so our tandem is a platform where performance management meets employee experience. So we take the performance management process and we drive a much greater employee experience through putting coaching tools in the hands of managers and giving, helping them build inspiring cultures. And for sure, I'm not a techie person, so it is it is unusual to find myself running a technology company for sure. Um, but I came from the world of HR and I literally did HR all my career, right from studying HR as a degree and doing a research master's in performance management of all that things. That just blows my mind. <laughs> a research master's in performance management. And no, it's the ultimate nerd <laughs> qualification. Are you the only person in the world who has a master's in research and performance? Quite management? possibly, quite possibly, yeah. And we had, at the time, it was unusual to do research masters at all. So it wasn't even a classic studied masters. It was one of these things where you literally had to go around companies interviewing them about their performance management practices and getting all sorts of data. But we're going back quite a while. In fact, we wrote a book at the time um, in, with my former name, so you won't even find it now, my maiden name. Uh, and, and don't read it because it's about 20 years old and terribly dated. <laughs> it's probably still radical knowing us, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so so that was my my early days. And then I went into, into HR and I because I wanted to experience it in the real world. It's one thing being in your ivory tower in a university researching performance management practices but it's a whole other thing, living them, implementing them, designing them, yeah. trying to make them global, all those good things. And I and I had the good fortune to do that in my career because I got to be a HR director in companies like Telefonica O2 and SAP and various banks and even security. And so I saw it come to life in lots of different contexts. And I think I think that's the beauty of HR, isn't it? There isn't a one size fits all. Yeah. It, it works so differently in different industries and in different sizes of organizations. And the variety is incredible. But what you choose to do with your performance management, I think, screams volumes about who you are. So I was always a bit fascinated with the topic. That's really interesting. Um, how, how you choose to do your performance management speak volumes about who you are. And I think most companies that we come across have tended to go with the kind of so-called best practice 
that um, either has been we've kind of grown up with as HR professionals or is part of the performance and talent suite of our enterprise-wide HR system. And, and I'm not sure many of us in HR think about it as an experience that we can choose to differentiate and to represent our brand and, the, and, and who we are as an organization. I think most of us, certainly speaking personally, our listeners might disagree, but you know, kind of you just take what you've given, you know, it's sort of this yeah. is how you do performance management. You start off at the start of the year with some objectives and then you do a review at the end or the half year and you give a rating. And so um, yeah. yeah, we'll return to that, I think, because I think that's a really interesting piece, which is about the experience. Now, we were introduced by somebody who knows us both quite well. And um, Amy, thank you if you're listening. And she said, oh, you've got to meet. You've got to meet because you both come <laughs> at it from the same angle. And I think what would be great is just to kind of hear your thoughts around the philosophy of performance management and why you feel it needs to change. Yeah, yeah. I love that question because, you know, I was one of those people who grew up, I mean, gosh, I worked for SAP, so I was, I was the <laughs> ultimate choice. Yeah. I didn't have a choice about how we did performance management. We just followed the system and the technology. And, and I was one of those people who was very sold on that way of doing performance management um, because that's what we grew up with. That's what you learned. Um, but you're right. It wasn't given enough thought, I think, at the time. And when you take a step back from it, you realize that so many of the assumptions and the philosophy and the framework of performance management actually comes from another era. It comes from the 80s, many of the, many, much of that thinking. But we have to bear in mind we worked very differently in the 80s. You know, the 80s was a simpler time where you had one boss who directed your work and saw your performance from every angle. He, you know, he, because let's face it, it was usually a he. Usually, uh, yeah. <laughs> He sat in every single meeting with you. He reviewed every single memo you wrote. He, you know, so so it was a very different world where actually that did make sense for then. But I think as the workplace has evolved and we now work in very different ways with multiple managers and cross-functional teams, and we work at a pace where our manager you know, it will be hard to keep up with what we're doing every day today. And they, they don't have the powers of observation that they did back then. Then I think we have to reflect our performance management to echo that the world that we're in now. Yeah. And I think that's that our philosophy, I guess, was the world has fundamentally shifted and tilted in a new direction. And performance management has got to reflect that. So we wanted it to, to reflect a new philosophy as well, because in the 80s, it was all about evaluation, judgment, you know, I'm the boss, I know best, I'll tell you if you're good or bad. And that was perfectly acceptable back then. That's how we all worked. But that's not the world we're in today. And, and often bosses don't have the same expertise as the people doing the work. So they can't even give you that level of direction. So suddenly you're kind of got to got a vacuum here where you still need direction and you still need coaching and you still need to grow and develop as an individual. But, you know, it's a bit like the, the football coach, you know, he doesn't have to be the best footballer. He just yeah. has to be the best coach to yeah. bring the team along. And I think that's our philosophy is to move more toward giving managers the coaching skills to help them become the best leaders for their people. And as well, giving people experiences that they can actually look forward to a process like performance management. Yeah. So let's break it down. Of in the 80s. 
Yeah. Let's break it down a little bit. Let's look at this issue of just the title of it to begin with. Can performance be managed by someone else? Yeah, I always thought that was a bit of a nonsense, actually, because who can manage your performance? Only you can actually manage your performance. So so even in the title, it's flawed. And I hate the fact that we've moved to continuous performance management because we've kind of taken what was bad and just, just made it more often. It sounds exhausting, doesn't it? Every, it does. you know, continuous conversations like, really? I know. Um, so yeah. I know that one of the the, the, the features of, of our tandem and something that you believe in is this concept of employee ownership. And it's something that we talk a lot about uh, when we're with our clients is, you know, employee owned. So just describe to me this kind of um, how do you get employees to own their own performance if they're used to a system where they are rated, where they're being told? How do you get them to to show an interest, to own those discussions, to seek out those conversations. How, how do you how do you make that shift? Yeah, I, I think you have to put the tools in their hands. You know, it's one thing to ask employees to own their own development, but how where do they start? You know, how do yeah, you get yeah. them to do that? And I think one of the beauties of technology is that it can change behavior. I mean, we've all seen that in the world, how much technology has changed us over the last 10 years, how much it changes our patterns, our habits, our behaviors. And I suppose that's the beauty of our tandem is you can change a pattern and a habit. But by putting tools in place and kind of nudging employees to go ask for feedback, to go give feedback, to start to understand patterns about themselves, to give them personalized coaching dashboards, all of these things start to give them a confidence and indeed a license to go and own their development. Because you know, if 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 you ask an employee to own their own development, it involves doing things like, listen, don't sit around waiting for your performance review. Go ask for feedback, you know, go try and understand how you're perceived around here. Maybe not just by your manager, but by your peers, by your stakeholders. Get some data on yourself so you can walk in with confidence into a performance discussion, knowing who you are already. You're not passively sitting back waiting for the manager to tell you if you're good or bad. You're going in with a view on what your own strengths are and what your development needs may be. And as I understand it, the way that the the tool that you operate that is structured is based around not so much good and this is what you're good at, this is what you're bad at, but this is what you're good at and actually there's silence about these other areas and that that is a data set and a data point in itself. Yeah, yeah, we're big believers. We have a big um, uh, analytics capability to tandem and we're big believers that absence of data tells you as much as data itself. So if everybody sees you as the greatest collaborator in the world, but nobody sees you as a leader, that in itself is information. That's telling you that, yes, you're a brilliant team worker, but if you want to go for the team lead role, nobody's seeing you in that place right now. So that might be, if you have ambitions to be a team lead, it's not saying you can't be, it's just saying you need to start influencing influencing perceptions around you. And I think that's the big thing, particularly in enterprise organizations. Everybody walks around with a personal brand, whether they're aware of it or not. And often when, particularly when you're young in organizations, you don't necessarily know how to navigate that. You know, you you may not be aware that you're known as one thing, you're not known as another thing. I think that's so true. You know, when I've been kind of working with groups of young women who were coming through, 
um, I always used to sort of say to them, you know, don't imagine that the leadership team are sitting around having in-depth, um, you know, sophisticated conversations about you. They will typically use two or three words to sum you up because it's a shorthand. We've got lots of people we've got to talk about. So what are the two or three words that are being used? And are you happy with those two or three descriptors? Because if you're not, then you need to work to change that. And yeah. um, and I think that's a, a really valid point that, you know, ultimately you're the one that can own that. It's it's yeah. yeah, and I think it's really empowering to hand to put it in people's hands and go, you design yourself. You decide which three words are right to describe you. Which ones do you want yeah. to be famous for? Do you want to be known for? And then you carve that path for yourself, you know, and you you exhibit those behaviors so that people recognize those behaviors in you. And then that drives the career that you want. Yeah. And I think that's so empowering. Whereas a lot of people, I think, avoid employees having that you know or, or they don't bring this conversation to life because they're a bit afraid oh we don't want to taint somebody with a particular view but in reality you know yeah you're going to be famous for something you yeah. might as well be the person who chooses what to be famous for let's deal with the uh the kind of the bet noir of, of, of hr and and the current discussion around performance management which is ratings you know, our ratings yeah, are good thing, our ratings are bad thing. Do we get rid of them? And um, you know, we we at Disruptive HR stand very very clearly in the position that that ratings are not a good thing. That they distort conversations. That they prevent employee truly owning their own performance. Because if you know you're ultimately going to get a number or a horrible phrase like meets expectations attached to you at the end of it, you're not going to be as open and honest and and re- reflective of your own your own brand or or strengths and weaknesses where do you where do you stand on it yeah I, it's such a controversial one isn't it I mean personally I'm no big lover of ratings um but our tandem do, uh, does facilitate people to store ratings and I suppose the reason for that is we're conscious that you know in small to mid-sized organizations it's a relatively easy journey to rid yourself of ratings and you know move into that world without ratings when you're a large scale enterprise, it can be a very complex journey. And particularly if you have to kind of re-navigate works councils agreements, it's written into legal contracts, it's, you know, it's set bonus in stone. Bonus systems, all that. you know, that's exactly. the thing that I, I hear keeping, keeping HR people tied to, to ratings, even if they don't like them or even value them. they don't them. like it. Yeah. And I think as well, sometimes there's a readiness factor. You know, I've met a lot of companies who've gone down this road of, you know, when, when we meet them, they're almost in distress because they've got rid of ratings. They had a bit of a revolution about it because managers just weren't ready because they hadn't been having any other conversation except ratings. So ratings had become this crutch by which they were giving, you know, employees kind of signals. It's almost like white smoke messages about how you're doing around here. The rating was the only means of manifesting your performance conversation. And those managers were lost. As soon as you whipped away ratings, they just weren't capable or ready to have conversations without them. So I've met the worst case scenario, which is companies who've pulled out ratings and put them back in again. And and let's face it, once they've done that, they're never going to get rid of them, are they? It's so hard. We tried that. It was a disaster. And, you know, it does worry me. You know, a lot of clients will say, oh, we're we're going to change our performance system and, and we've got to do it in, you know, six weeks, three months. And it's like, why? 
you know, you've had this yeah. thing in place for 20, 30, 40 years. <laughs> Why yeah. have you suddenly got to get, because it's like, you know, you, you, the managers might not like it. The employees might not like it. HR might not like it. But we all know that dance, don't we? And we're suddenly changing from a waltz to a jive and no one knows the steps. And, and, and without doing it in a way where you're at least giving people a, a chance of succeeding in this new way of working, this new way of having conversations, you're really setting yourself up for failure. Yeah, that's right. I, I love that analogy, the, the waltz versus a jive. That's brilliant. But, but yeah, I, I think people have got to kind of do it in stages and we'd always advise clients you know you because you, you, we meet a lot of those clients we've got to change it all and we've got to change it overnight and the ceo hates it and you know yeah. we need a whole new performance management system by tomorrow and that's fine but i think you've got to sort of help managers become accustomed to a world without ratings before you take away the ratings so you can build up like a feedback muscle a coaching capability across the organization and make sure that those conversations are happening so but that by the time you remove the ratings actually it's fine because everybody's already talking about performance very articulately anyway yeah but i think if you pull out ratings before you've built up any capability around conversations on performance or feedback in your organization I think you're you might find yourself in a little bit of trouble yeah I suppose the only pushback on that that I would have is that we find that that if you still have that end of year big set piece discussion with a rating it's very hard to build up the feedback muscle because human nature being what it is they'll kind of go well I'll leave it you know because I know I've got that conversation coming up at the end so I think it's I don't know if there's a, a right way or a wrong way, but I think where we both would probably come down on is you have to show them what good looks like. You have to give yeah. the tools, the support. You have to show them what a, a frequent check-in conversation would look like. Um, you know, there really does need to be more positioning and support for this move, whatever, whether you get rid of ratings or not. You can't just say, oh, it's a new way of doing it and expect it to work um, over yeah. A hundred percent. And I think that that's exactly the key is giving a little bit more navigation and a little bit more help around what do great check-ins look like? What does continuous yeah. feedback look like? Yeah. And yeah. I've met a lot of organizations who've implemented these things and they've kind of turned around and dictated to, to the managers. Oh, you must all have a one-to-one once every two weeks or once every month, whatever their cadence is. But that's it. And then you're like, well, how are they going? And they're like, well, we don't know. We think they're doing them. And it's like, yeah. well, that's all a bit useless, isn't it? Because who knows whether they're having the conversations and then who knows whether those conversations are of any quality. And that's, that's always the thing, isn't it? What we attend, end up doing is we end up measuring whether they've had the conversations rather than, and this is the area I just want to kind of finish up on is the point we started at actually, which is about the experience of that performance management. So whether we call it performance management or performance coaching or performance acceleration, whatever phrase we use, ultimately it's a it's a key moment, isn't it, in your employee life cycle. And we started off by talking about how companies, that it speaks volumes about who they are. And so in your experience, how can companies really shape the experience that's right for them and how do they go even sort of about thinking about that yeah yeah so one of the things that we do with our clients is we start with a diagnostic before we even talk about technology we start with what is your culture today in terms of the performance management experience what does it feel like is it reactive as in feedback never happens except in moments of heightened praise or punishment 
or is it kind of pretty personal? We're really good at feedback, but we kind of tend to praise more and there's less constructive feedback goes on around here or growth oriented feedback. So, so I think the first stage is diagnosing where you are. And the next piece is setting an intent on a journey. Where are you trying to get to? Like, don't assume you can go from a reactive culture where feedback never happens to everybody giving everybody feedback overnight. Like, that's just not real. You've yeah. got to build up a capability and a muscle around this over time. And there is a journey you can go on to get there. But you've got to be realistic about it. And then I think it's about tailoring that experience to your unique culture. So I don't have... I don't believe in a one, sits, one size fits all approach on performance management. I don't believe that an organization of 100,000 people has to have the exact same performance management experience Absolutely. as an organization of 20 people. You know, they're very different needs. Or even within that 100,000 people, you can have different experiences Definitely. based on, you know, if you've yeah. got an experienced manager and you've got a very experienced team and you see each other every day, it's going to look very different to a you know, a bunch of new hires who are virtual, you know, it's, it's got to different. 100%. I mean, you're not going to check in with the leader who's been here 10 years and knows exactly what he's doing yeah. as often as you're going to check in with the graduate who's complete newcomer to the, to the whole, yeah. the whole place. So, so I think that's it. I think audiencing the appropriate experience to the appropriate audience is the way to go and flexing that. But I do think, you know, we need to have a baseline. We need to have a starting point where, okay, we all do at least this minimum viable product, we like to call it, where, <laughs> you know, we all check in with each other at least every every particular cadence and we, you know, we give each other feedback generously and we do it in this way and we have our, our, our frameworks around it. And we're clear about letting people know where they stand you know what is the template to do that it may not be ratings for you but it yeah. could be something else there could be a That's way a really that important we... point actually because i think people worry that if the ratings not go how will i know where i stand but yes. of course, there are lots yeah. of different ways that you can give those back yeah. being on track or whatever it might be so exactly. i think that kind of you know I, I just worry sometimes that there are the kind of, you know, the insecure overachievers who always want to know, am I better than everybody else? Which unfortunately is is not <laughs> what performance management should be about anyway. Uh, it's about you and your growth and your potential. But um, yeah, and I think if we can shift the mind frame to you're not in competition with your peers, you're in competition with yourself. So this is about you finding the best version of you as opposed to how do you stack, stack rate against everybody else? I think they're very different conversations because it becomes about pulling out your potential and optimizing your strengths so that you can accelerate. It's not about you being in competition but David Ulrich has a lovely phrase, positive performance accountability, which I really like because it's about this nice concept that, you know, maybe the, the stack rank ratings of the past are, are dead and gone, thankfully. But there is a replacement, which is being clear and having these moments of accountability built into your framework so that you don't kind of tell everyone to go off and have one-to-ones, but never have a moment whereby we're clear about where we stand. Because yeah. there's still, you know, a rightful place for us to talk about performance and what's going well and what's not and what's the block yeah. and what yeah. challenges there are. We still need those moments and we still need to navigate those moments in clearly so that managers do have them, whether they, you know, they choose to or not, that they're there for them yeah. and that we've given them a little bit of guidance about how to have that conversation. Ashling, thank you so much. That's been fascinating. Final question from me. Is it very different from when you did your, your master's? Are we <laughs> making progress? 
I think it's a world of difference. Oh, I, I that's good to hear. Yeah, world of difference. I, I think it's so exciting right now because I think people are doing wonderful creative things with performance and they're making it into an experience that people enjoy and look forward to. And that is a world away from what I studied 20 years ago. Thank God. So, yeah. Thank you so much for spending the time with us today. Thank you. Oh, thank you, Lucy. It's been my absolute pleasure. Thanks for listening to this podcast. For more resources to help you change HR, check out the Disruptive HR Club at www.disruptivehr.club.